I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Wurstiak. On this podcast, I explore topics in digital marketing for jewelry designers and retailers, including branding, content, email, events, social media, and more. This is episode 77, and today I'll be sharing my interview with Tracy Matthews. Not only does Tracy run a successful jewelry brand, but she's also the chief visionary officer of Flourish and Thrive Academy, which helps other jewelry business owners launch, grow, and scale profitable businesses. Through her platform, Creatives Rule the World, Tracy also empowers entrepreneurs to take action in their own lives, spend more time in their creative zone of genius, lead their teams more effectively, and ultimately increase their profits. In this episode, we focus mostly on Flourish and Thrive Academy and how Tracy and her team help jewelry entrepreneurs reach new customers and grow their businesses. I ask her questions like, what are some of the most important traits and characteristics or even skills required to be a successful jewelry business owner? What sets a serious business owner apart from a more casual one? Which types of digital marketing are most important for jewelry business owners today? How can a jewelry business owner set his or her priorities? Which tasks should be outsourced? And which are most important and require the most attention? And more. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to share some marketing-related articles and research from the past week that caught my attention. One article from Women's Wear Daily this week explores the fact that consumers have been gravitating toward more sentimental and talismanic jewelry during the coronavirus crisis. Author Thomas Waller writes, quote, the jewelry market where buying is linked to emotions is bucking the retail apocalypse. Talismans for protection, diamonds for a birthday, or a simple friendship bracelet with a written mantra are pieces packed with a sentimental punch. And in the new normal, the customers who these customers are still opening their wallets, end quote. In your own marketing strategy, are you punching up the sentimental value of your jewelry pieces? If not, you could be missing major opportunities to connect with customers. Two articles I saw this week emphasize the importance of customer service for e-commerce brands during the coronavirus pandemic. During this time when more consumers are at home shopping online, they may be finding your jewelry brand for the first time. Now's the time to truly wow them with your customer service, so not only are you impressing them now, but you're also winning over customers for life. According to Practical E-Commerce, you can do that by maintaining communication with new and repeat customers, being active on social media, incorporating a live chat feature into your website, giving back to the community, and clearly disclosing your customer service policies. 
Another article from Digital Commerce 360 reminds luxury e-commerce retailers that customers shopping for goods online have elevated expectations and hope for a truly personalized shopping experience, especially when they're already shelling out the money for a luxury good. To provide them with that white glove customer service that they expect, you'll wanna be responsive to customers on multiple channels, prearrange return shipping labels, and also offer a variety of shipping options. What are you doing to provide your customers with an elevated customer experience that will keep them coming back for more? If you want to get the links to the articles I shared in this segment of the podcast, you can sign up for my email newsletter by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up, and you'll get a digest with the links whenever a new episode drops. Also, I wanted to let you know that I'm running replays of my webinar, Five Ways to Maintain Jewelry Marketing Momentum During a Global Crisis. So if you missed it the first time, you can visit joyjoya.com webinars to sign up for a time slot that works for you. You'll also receive a download to the webinar transcript so you can refer to it again in the future. All right, let's jump into my interview with Tracy, and I do want to apologize in advance that my audio quality just sucks. I'm sorry. I'm still kind of getting the hang of Zoom interviews right now, so you'll have to bear with me. However, Tracy does like 80% of the talking in the interview, and her audio quality is awesome, so I hope you'll still enjoy the interview anyway. So I saw on your website that you have more than 25 years of experience building your own successful jewelry businesses, and you seem to be really business savvy in general. Um, Throughout those early years, did you mostly teach yourself how to be profitable, like through trial and error, or did you consult mentors, coaches, or other resources? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, in the beginning, I honestly, like I talk about this a lot at Flourish and Thrive Academy and my podcast, Thrive by Design as well. Um, in the beginning, you know, I was kind of, I didn't uh, believe in the value at that time. This was all a, a complete limiting belief of investing in other people at that time to help me with business. And I say that because over the years, I realized more and more like how much I actually needed help, but my pride sort of get, would get in the way of that because I was like, I'm smart, I'm educated, I, you know, I'm like, you know, resourceful and all these things, which are great qualities, but a lot of times you can't see what you can't see. And it wasn't until later um, in that business, like maybe, I don't know, in year eight or nine that I started seeking out more consulting and more mentorship and help. And when I started doing that, like everything changed in so many ways, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later in the industry. But I think like in those early days, it was really like being super scrappy and resourceful that got me to where I was. But the issue with that is that because I was like doing all these things and not really understanding the repercussions of my actions, it messed up my business a lot later on down the road, which um, caused it essentially to fail in the economic uh, crisis of 2008. And uh, I learned a lot from that time. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, a little bit yeah, more definitely. this podcast. <laughs> Great. So at what point, I mean, transitioning from actually running your own jewelry business 
uh, at what point did you decide that you wanted to start helping other jewelry business owners? What was the inspiration behind that? How did that transition start to happen for you? What was your like aha moment? Well, um, over the years, I got, I would get a lot of inquiries from designers, you know, like, Hey, can you meet for coffee? Or, you know, I saw your jewelry in this store and I really admire you. I want to launch my own jewelry company. Um, can I pick your brain kind of stuff? And so I get emails about that all the time, uh, in our support desk at Tracy Matthews designs. And so uh, occasionally, you know, I would reach out and I would give them a couple of tips, but at the end of the day, you know, it's like I was busy running a company at 13 employees and there was a lot going on. And so there was only so much time that I could really a lot to doing that. So when I wound down uh, Tracy Matthews designs in 2009, I was still getting those inquiries and I started doing some consulting and helping uh, startup brands, you know, launch their first collection, figure out how to market, identify, you know, what their brand was all about. and a lot of them wanted to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. And so when I would offer the consulting fees for that, because I realized at that time, I'm like, you know, I know a lot of friends who are hiring consultants. I had hired a consultant. I had been mentored uh, by many people at, by this point. And I was like, this is really valuable. And I really was kicking myself at that point that I hadn't done it for myself earlier on in business. Mm -hmm. So I definitely saw the value. And so I was like, well, this is an opportunity for me to give back at this time because, you know, I've been through like a lot of lessons from having like an eight figure or excuse me, seven figure business um, and selling over $8 million worth of jewelry in that first company over the years. And then getting to a place where, um, you know, I knew I needed help, but I was like too afraid to ask for help. And then finally getting help and being like, oh my gosh, this was like the best thing that I ever did. And so it was time for me to kind of pay that forward because I was real in this place where I didn't want anyone to have to experience or go through what I went through in yeah. 2008. And it wasn't because I was a bad business person. It was really because I hadn't prepared myself or the, my business for um, basically like a crisis or a disaster. And so when, when it hit, I was just like putting out fires everywhere and I couldn't recover. And so this is my opportunity to sort of pay back. And so ultimately, do you want me to tell you how the, that transition into flourish and thrive now? Sure, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> it just, it's a natural transition. So I was starting to offer these consulting packages and it wasn't that expensive, I don't think, but I can understand how an emerging designer would think the investment was a lot. Um, you know, I was charging anywhere between $1,000 to $1,500 a month. And, um, and they just, they would come back and I'd work with them for a couple months and it would take them a long time to kind of implement. And so at a certain point, it would get, start getting cost prohibitive because I really believe that in order to get real value, you need to work with someone for at least a year in order to kind of see the impact of that. And so I was thinking, I'm like, how can I make this a little bit more scalable, a little bit more affordable so that I can help a lot more people. And I was sitting down talking with my friend Robin and I'd had this idea to start an online program. Uh, and this was back in 2011, like towards the end of that year in going into 2012. And meanwhile, I'd started a new jewelry company I would used everything that I'd learned and all the lessons that I'd learned from the failure of my first company to ramp up super quickly. And I had, um, had one of my most profitable months in business up until that point. 
And for someone who only had, who had, um, who was doing everything herself and it was, I had pivoted from a sort of bridge, um, demi-fine price point to uh, only fine jewelry, doing engagement rings and wedding bands, and really having a cap on what I could produce because to me at this point in my life, like the lifestyle part of it was more important than having my name in all the magazines and stuff like that. I realized, wow, like there's so many different ways to basically, this is kind of gross, but like to skin a cat or to grow a jewelry business. Like this is, it's not just a one size fits all thing. So if I can show people like you have this passion, you're good at it, you can go big or go home, or you can also have something that's smaller and really sustainable and highly profitable and like actually make more money in a lot of cases that then I'd love to teach that. So I was talking with my friend, uh, Robin and sharing this idea. She's like, I think that's a great idea. And I was like, well, do you want to come in and be the sales, uh, the sales coach for that? Because she's like really good at sales. And I, I met her, um, way back when she was working at dog ear jewels and gifts because she was hired as a sales director or director of sales. And I had a trade show booth right across from the dog-eared booth. And so I got to watch them kind of grow and explode over the years. So we launched Flourish and Thrive Academy in the summer of 2012 in July. And the rest is history. Like it's grown um, so much since then. And we've, we've helped thousands of designers by this point, And it's super fun. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little more about all the services and programs that you do offer through Flourish and Thrive. Yeah, so we mentor uh, jewelry designers and makers, and also we have a lot of aspirational brands too. So we're broadening our scope a little bit beyond just jewelry, but it's really like the aspirational kind of products. Like we have a uh, high-end potter in our community and a high-end wallpaper artist. So we do like work with other types of brands, but jewelry is what we started with because Robin and I knew jewelry the most. Uh, I'm a jewelry designer and she had worked with a lot of jewelry companies over the years. And uh, she had just left Dog Yard at the time that we started working together. So um, that was our original, original angle or what we wanted to do. Uh, we help uh, brands from all ranges of price point as well. So it doesn't matter if you're like, have more of a costume price point or, uh, fine jewelry and anything in between. So uh, any, if you make, sell, or market jewelry or aspirational products, we can help you. Uh, we sell courses and coaching and membership. And uh, last year we went through a huge kind of revamp and we're still kind of finishing up that process this year so we can tighten up our system and Ascension model. And we de- I developed something that I now call the desired brand effect which is everything that, um, everything that I've learned over the 25, my 25 years as a jewelry designer and turn that into a methodology that, I mean, I've been teaching this for years, but we finally like named it and kind of created some visual diagrams to, to match that uh, methodology on, you know, how to really build desire and demand for your jewelry brand so that it's sustainable, so that you get the consistent sales so that you never kind of hit those profit plateaus that people do in business. And so that, uh, as you continue to grow and adapt to the market, you also don't hit those roadblocks where you're backsliding and going backwards. (laughs) Basically, I like to call it, I say backsliding, but it's like when you go backwards in time, you're like, 
okay, well, I'm going to try and do this, but that it's actually damaging your business. And so ultimately the goal is to get people to a place where they built a business that is sustainable based on their life goals and that, uh, you know, we're supporting them along the way. So we help brands that are starting up brands that are sort of growing and then brands that are also scaling as well, but in different mm-hmm. levels, in different programs. Yeah. Sure. Is there like an ideal type of business owner? I mean, I actually didn't even realize that you help business owners besides jewelry brands. I thought you only work with jewelry brands. Um, is there an ideal type of business owner that would get like the most value from your programs or is it anyone at any stage doing any of these types of categories of businesses? Like how would you describe that customer? So I think it depends on where they are because we can, we help all ranges of success. I would say if you're doing like multiple seven figures, we're probably, after you get to that range, like I'd probably pass you on to someone who is working with like people who are trying to scale to eight figures. Um, And and I'm talking about annual sales because uh, eight, eight figures in annual sales. I haven't personally done that in my own jewelry business. Like, I've had, you know, years where I've done seven figures and then uh, now I have a multiple six figure, just side hustle kind of uh, custom business. So I can help people at all stages Um, when they're just starting out, like really the best entry point is our laying the foundation program. It's, it is a course. So we walk you through the methodology of the desire brand effect and how to implement it into your business. I don't really find uh, one-on-one coaching super helpful. Um, once one-on-one or even group coaching, super helpful when someone is just starting out, unless they have a certain type of personality, because, um, I've noticed, uh, over the years that, um, confidence is like one of the key factors to success. And I know that a lot of times when people are coming out of the gate and just trying to get their feelers out, a lot of the confidence comes in just doing the work and putting your work out there. And so, uh, it's easier to like deliver all that because they can just keep working that program over and over again until they start reaching, you know, like the, their financial goals or eventually get to that like first annual year of six figures. Then uh, from there, we help people in our coaching program. So we have a coaching program. We're in the process of rebranding the name, but it's called SOS Coaching. Uh, we're rolling out two levels in it um, where one is a, a purely group level. And one is an accelerator, accelerated level, which has a hybrid of one-on-one coaching. And in that, those programs, uh, we help people who are kind of either just about to cross that six figure mark, or they're at six figures and they're trying to scale the multiple, multiple six, and then eventually to seven figures in revenue. Obviously price point matters because we had a jewelry designer who's a fine jeweler. So it's, it's all relative, right? And she's selling super high-end jewelry who was in our coaching program last year. And she completed the program and she probably ended the year, you know, in like in the seven figure marker because she was selling very expensive pieces of jewelry, Mm -hmm. but like a lower volume. And so it really, the, it's not as much the, how much money you're making. It's like the volume and like what your problems are inside the business at that given point. Um, but the purpose of the programs are really to help people accelerate and grow to help them um, basically life-proof and recession-proof their businesses. Uh, I know that you work with a, a lot of jewelry brands as well. And, um, you know, one of the things that I feel like is the hang-up, especially when it's like sort of uh, a solopreneur mentality is that they come into it 
um, doing everything. And then as they start to grow, they just start to burn out because they, they, have, a tr they have trouble delegating or uh, trying to get things off their plate because they don't know how to do it. And so part of that is uh, showing them like what to let go of first and then moving them into the position of what we call the chief visionary officer. And then also getting them to a place where they're feeling supported and uh, producing really good work that supports what they want in their life, in their career. And I think a lot of people, when they start a company, they don't think about that enough. And I think that's like, you have to start there and if you don't, and so this is really where we help them get to a place like, they have to start with what they want first and then build the business. Because if you wanna work all the time and uh, scale to you know, high seven figures and stuff, that's cool, but, I like people to kind of understand like what the ramifications are of that on your life a lot of times, unless you set mm -hmm. your business up the right way. And so uh, with that being said, like that's sort of like how the, our Ascension model works and how the core flow of our programs work. Um, at this point, we're not offering like individualized one-on-one -on -one consulting um, just because we have limited with our coaches team. So all of our coaching models are operated of group and or on the highest level with a one-on-one -on -one aspect to it, we work with our team of coaches uh, based on the problems that they have or what they're trying to accomplish in their business. I really like the focus on the growth mindset that, that you're mm -hmm. talking about, because I think like you said, a lot of these solopreneurs, they have this idea that they wanna grow, but yeah. they don't have specific goals around that or like tangible numbers or what they want to actually achieve. So I like that you're very like goal focused in that way. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a really, you know, when you asked me a question earlier about who is like ideal for it, like I think the people who get the most results out of what we do are people who are willing to commit to themselves and their business, because that is like the number one thing that I see as a hang up for people is that they're not fully committed. And so they use excuses or um, the head trash talk that we all tell ourselves at certain given times and they let that, that overpower them. And so um, all of our trainings and everything that we do, they all start with mindset work because I, I honestly believe, and I've said this over and over again, that success and as an entrepreneur and in business is 95% your belief system. Because if you don't, um, deal with your head and your mind first, like it's always going to get in the way and it will self-sabotage you. Even if you've grown a lot, like it can take you down. So it's important, especially in times like these, when there is so much uncertainty and a lot is changing in economic environment. And, you know, it's funny because we run ads on a regular basis, um, for our programs and some of the comments we've been getting on our ads are really funny. Um, I mean, it's not funny. I mean, I think these people like really believe this and they're like, no one's buying jewelry right now. Why would you run ads about selling jewelry? Or they would, uh, someone saying like, I can't believe that you're trying to get people to buy jewelry right now. You should be making masks. And I was like, or, oh, you know, wow. all these kind of random things. And I was like, that's so fantastic. I don't know how to sell. And I also don't know, I mean, I know a lot of designers do know how to sew because they're like, whatever, and they are making masks. A lot of people are doing this. I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but also 
not everyone is, it has lost their job or doesn't have money anymore. <laughs> and hopefully people buying jewelry are not in that category. While there is, are some people who are doing that, that doesn't mean you should stop your business. And I think the challenging part is that a lot of people rely on their jewelry business for their full-time income and to support their family. So like, why would you tell someone to stop running their business when that's their livelihood and that's how they can survive? I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me that people say that. I mean, obviously the messaging is different, but the, the amazing thing is that I've been like, since this whole coronavirus thing is kind of like taken off, like in the beginning, in the first few weeks when it was like coming out, I was like, oh, this will blow over soon. It's going to be like the flu. And, and then it started getting worse and started getting worse. And I know the people in my community were starting to panic. And I decided um, about a month ago to leave or like three and a half weeks ago to leave New York City as, at the time that we're recording this uh, to come to Arizona because New York, I knew that New York was going to be on lockdown pretty soon. And it's a dense area, lots of people and you're in LA. So you understand this. Um, and I, I, I didn't know like how long this was going to go down. So like, my first thing was like, look, you guys, we're here to lean on you. This is not the time to like jump ship and like cancel, you know, your, your support system that's around you. This is the time to lean in. And I was really surprised because like, I think originally, like I, I thought we'd probably have a lot of people like wanting to like cancel their memberships or whatever, but actually it's been quite the opposite. They've been leaning in, they've been getting incredible sales. We had, um, our, we have two live events a year with our um, high-end coaching program, or high-level coaching program, excuse me. And uh, one of them is always in like March, April, end of March, early April. And then the other one is in uh, usually like September or August. And I, was, I decided about a month before to cancel it because it was in LA and I know LA was going on lockdown. And uh, then like a week later, everything was locked down and no live, all live events got canceled. So I was glad I did it. We did it virtually. And I was like, okay guys, like I know times are, are interesting, like share with me some wins. And they were like, best month in sales online ever. Um, I had two custom commissions for $900 each this month. Um, since, uh, in th two weeks I've done over, and these are people with varied price points. So some of them are high end, some of them are low end. Um, I, within two weeks, I've sold over almost $7,000 just working directly with my Facebook audience and my, um, and sending out a couple of emails. And these stories go over and over and over again of people having record breaking months. And so if people are saying that people are not buying jewelry, they're lying because people are buying jewelry. People want to support small businesses and, the, the way we keep the economy going is to keep the cycle of spending going. And so that means keeping your support system up, but also buying, uh, especially buying from small business now, I think it's even more important, um, you know, supporting small businesses around you in, in, in any way, shape or form. And so I've just seen that a lot of people are really rising up. Um, I thought a really powerful one was a new designer in our coaching program posted something and she said, you know, I, I was really hesitant to reach out to this woman because she's a frontline healthcare worker and I didn't even want to bother her. But so I just sent her a note and said like, thank you so much for what you're doing for us. And she's Canadian. 
and the healthcare worker is like, I've been meaning to reach out to you. I want to get started on, on the ring that we were talking about a couple weeks ago. And she, and her whole, whole thing was like, she's, there's no way this, and like in her head, she's saying, there's yeah. no way this woman wants to design a ring. She's like on the front lines and people need a distraction. I mean, come on, like they do. And so just keep that in mind, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in even tomorrow at this point, but keep putting yourself out there and just be willing to pivot. You know, that's, that's sort of my mess. What's my message has been. I think all of that is so encouraging. I mean, I definitely agree with you. I've had people come to me and ask me in like a very kind of insecure way. Like, is it okay to even be selling right now? Like how mm-hmm. can I feel good about this? And you can feel good about it. It's just being sensitive about the messaging, like you said, that you're putting forth. Obviously, be appropriate, like yeah. take into consideration that stuff is happening in the world. But as long as you do it in like a conscious way, there's nothing wrong with it at all. In fact, it's, it's great. And and like you said, it is offering people a distraction because no one yeah. wants to be like absorbed in the news 24-7. They want to look at pretty things. I know. <laughs> exactly. My boyfriend, Jason was saying, he's like, yeah, there's like all sorts of people right now. Some of them are like, want all the details of everything that's happening. Some of them are like, more like me. I was like, give me the high level. I can't get sucked into the news because it's just depressing and I need to keep my energy high. And then there's people in the middle who want like a balance, but I know what most people want right now is something to feel good about because it's crazy. You know, like it's just that we're in unprecedented times. And the most that, the best that you can do is to just take every day by day and just keep moving forward, taking action. Definitely. So I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, it's not, so you, you mentioned you have the side hustle still and you're doing six figures with the side hustle. Mm-hmm. How the heck do you balance, you know, supporting even energetically? Like how do you balance supporting other jewelry designers and helping them reach their goals while also still like running this side hustle that you're doing? Uh, there's no way that I would be able to do it without my assistant, Sarah. Uh, she's awesome. She's on the ground in New York. So, um, she's the only, actually the only person who works for me and the only employee who works for me, who is based in New York city. My, the rest of my team is completely virtual. And uh, I feel really grateful that I've built a virtual company at this point, since everyone is working remotely, but, um, Sarah helps me run all the project management and she runs all the correspondence with my customers. So, um, the only process that I'm really involved in is the sales process and the design process. And, also like making sure that the pieces that I'm making are coming along in my vision. So she, she deals with all the details, which a couple of years ago, uh, she wasn't. And it's been interesting because I keep saying to myself, like, I love designing jewelry and I love, uh, the entire process. I love serving my customers. I have to be honest, like on the last two or three years, I've really put it on the back burner and haven't marketed it that much, but because I've built an audience and people know, who I am, I don't even need to market now. And this is why it's so important to build that audience and continue to build the desired brand effect around your brand. Because when you do, you don't, the marketing becomes really easy because it just becomes either like a referral process or they see your work like somewhere and they're like, okay, well, this is on the back burner. So when I'm ready to do that redesign of my mom's ring or when I'm, when I'm getting engaged or when I'm doing, want to do something special, I'm going to think of Tracy. And so 
that's sort of like how I've really kept it going. It's like, it has to be really, um, easy or else I wouldn't, I wouldn't continue working on it so much. So, and it has been, and it's been, I have really awesome people that I get to work with and there, there might come a time when I decide to put it on pause or on the back burner. And I've considered that, um, more recently in this year because I launched a new platform in the beginning of 2019 called Creatives Rule the World, where um, I was supposed to host a, an event this year and a bunch of other things, but now that's on the back burner, where I help people really tap in and spend more time in their doing what they're best at. And I think that a lot of times as business owners, and especially highly creative business owners, we get wrapped up in a lot of the things that we have to do for business and it drains our creativity, which uh, inevitably affects our companies. And so um, tying this back to my first business, I can directly relate a lot of the uh, energy towards in the last two years that were like, um, got me to a place where I was just like, I have to let go because it's not that important to me, to the fact that I wasn't doing what I was best at most of the time. And so, that's really, I feel like my life's work. And so we'll see how it all unfolds. But uh, the short answer after that long description is really just having the right support around me and having a team. And I'm, I'm lucky that my business is at a place where I can employ people and all that stuff. And that's, there's no other way other than that. <laughs> so I'm curious also about your virtual team. So that's a team of coaches that you have working all over the country with, with your customers. Is that right? Yes. Uh, there's two, like two assets, two, um, sides to it. So I have the core operating team who runs Flourish and Thrive Academy. So, um, we have our, uh, customer service and administrative assistant, Abby, uh, Quay, who just got promoted. She's doing more, um, um, I actually probably need to give her a better title cause I haven't really thought about it, but she's, she's kind of like a, um, like a manager of the programs, uh, the students in the programs, the membership and the coaching things. So she makes sure that everything happens that the students are happy. Um, then we have uh, Jess, who's our director of education and she's helped helps me behind the scenes with the business modeling. And then we have Sherry who runs our coaching program. And I know, oh, and uh, Ben, who runs, helps me with our tech and marketing aspects. And then we have an honorary member who's not really part of the team, but he helps me. <laughs> My boyfriend, Jason, who's kind of acts as an integrator or like the, uh, the guy where like I download the ideas and he helps me like, okay, here's how you're gonna translate this into something that you work on with the team. So that's sort of like the core team of what we're working on. And then we have some freelancers in there who are writers and, um, and uh, oh, and also Natasha, who's our business accelerator specialist. So she, she's on the front facing part of uh, the process when we have people interested in what we do. She jumps on the phone with them and helps them decide, like, work, they work together to decide, like, here's how we can help you and here are the, here are the best programs for you based on where you are. On the other side of it, we have, like, about 20 coaches that, that work for us. Some of them are in uh, our graduates of our programs, and so they run our membership and uh, our graduation groups and our free community, the Jewelry Brand Marketing Hub. And uh, the other coaches are coaches in their area of expertise. So some of them are writers, they're marketers, they're 
they do a lot of digital work and they uh, come in and coach our students in our coaching program. And so that really runs the, the gamut and they coach based on their area of expertise. So it's a really unique type of um, program that we run because I know a lot of programs, it's just like one head coach and that person does all the coaching uh, or just a couple of coaches. But I found that like no one can really go deep in a lot of different topics. And so I really built this around um, in a way that we had coaches who could go deep in a variety of topics based on like what you were working on at that time. And so they're kind of two sides of the business. Uh, so there's the core team and the coaching team. And the virtual aspect of it was something that after having um, offices in San Francisco first, and then New York City when I moved here in 2006, and then having to let, like having a team full of people and then having to let them go uh, when I decided to close my business, one of my things that I wanted, wanted to create was uh, more flexibility in my lifestyle. And if I had an office where everyone went to, I noticed that if I wasn't there, <laughs> the work ethic sometimes changed or um, the operate, like I felt like I had to be there in order for things mm -hmm. to happen. And my family, my brother, siblings were starting to have kids and I, they live in California, most of them. And I wanted to be able to go and spend time with them and to be able to work remotely for like weeks at a time. And so the decision to, to develop the company virtually was for a couple of reasons. I didn't want the overhead of having an office space anymore and a commitment to having in-house employees that didn't provide me the kind of flexibility uh, that I needed. Because one of the things that was tough when things went down in 2008 was my the commitment I had to my team. So when my revenue went from $150,000 October of 2007 uh, in in that month, because usually October was the busiest shipping month for a wholesale company in the jewelry industry. And the next year went to $10,000 and I still had all the cash flow that I had to float. I realized that I had to do business in a different way. And so I started building the company around like freelancers. And then as we grew, I started building more of like a solid team where more people were working, like more committed, more hours, more full time. But I realized like some of the best talent isn't necessarily in New York City. A lot of the, a lot of uh, hiring a team like solely based in New York City is a, a bigger investment when I could get find people in the Midwest or in different parts of the country who had a very specific skill set. But maybe they were stay home moms who couldn't actually go get a regular job because they couldn't get childcare or something like that. And so I was really thinking like, how can I get the best talent? How can I build like culture and community around my brand based on what I wanted and how could I do this in a way that was sustainable that we could get enough support to really grow the business and keep the community running and so that was sort of the impetus for doing that and it's worked great because um, I've been able to really connect with amazing people that I never would have been able to find or even hire before um, mm -hmm. when I was at an in-person office it sounds like so many people are just discovering this world yeah. now because we're all forced to be at home and it's like wow this can actually have some benefits like yeah i mean it takes commitment i mean i don't know if you usually go into an office it's like it's harder it's actually harder to work from home because there's a lot more distractions yeah that's definitely true 
but it offers more flexibility, I think. And so depending on, you know, your working style and when you're most productive, like if you're not like a nine to five worker, if that's not the way you most are most productive, you can build your schedule around your most productive times, which I think is good. Absolutely. So it sounds like your network of coaches that you work with, they cover like a wide variety of skills based on their own expertise. Yes. So what do you think are some of the most important characteristics, skills, or traits that a jewelry business owner should have, or does it vary based on the situation? What are your thoughts about that? I think, I mean, I think this goes across the, runs across the gamut for any business owner. So not just jewelry business owners, because I think that if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to be a small business or, or a small business owner, however you just identify yourself, right? There are going to be times when it gets really hard and there are going to be times when it's really good. Um, and there's a lot of ups and downs and there's always going to be change. There's always going to be uncertainty. So I think the number one skill set that you need to have is resourcefulness. Like you have to be willing to do whatever it takes in order to get that desired result. And, and also be, be okay with having a different outcome that you expected and, and understanding that this is just a learn that any setback or failure or anything that you have is really just an opportunity to learn. And it's not necessarily a failure. That one took me a long time to really understand because like my business, my first business failed big time. I had to file for bankruptcy. Like it was a mess, like all of it. But I learned so much from that time and I'm able to now provide so much value to other people um, having had that experience. And so, and it's taught me how to run a business in a totally different way this time. Um, I also think something that is really important is to be humble. Um, it's really easy to let our ego, any of us to get, let our ego get in the way, thinking that we know something or we're better than that. And I think it's, it takes a very um, special person to sit back and take a look at their, um, and I'm going to say weaknesses because I think our weaknesses are sometimes our strengths, right? Our areas of opportunity maybe in business because there's no way we're going to be good at everything. And I will tell you, most highly creative people are really good at ideas. They're good at moving things forward, but they're not good at really cleaning up the mess a lot of times. They're not good at the details a lot of the times. Maybe detail orientation in the way that your piece looks if you're a jeweler, but uh, a lot of things like end up falling apart. And as you grow, those things can actually take your business down if they're not addressed. And so understanding like when to ask for help and actually like being humble enough to ask for help and not thinking that that's a problem, thinking that, that that's a strength when you, when you lean into that. And I also think um, being a really a problem solver, you know, not everyone naturally has problem solving um, resourcefulness and problem solving kind of kind of go hand in hand but to really keep digging deep into when problems arise like why are these especially if they're recurring problems that come up over and over again why is this happening and really get to the root of why those things happen and so those three and then also I, I think that there's a fourth which maybe is the first is like a willingness to take action even though it's not perfect because I think uh, the more you're willing to put yourself out there, the better chances that you have of something actually working. Uh, I think one of the things I've just observed this in a lot of people, and I think this is a, a kind of ties back into that myth of the starving artist syndrome, that if I put myself out there uh, or I'm rejected or 
you name all the things that like, I'm not good enough. And it really comes down to that feeling of not being good enough. And I think uh, you have to be okay just putting yourself out there and not being attached to the outcome or the results because that's how you learn. And that's how you grow your business. Like if, if it's something's not perfect and you never put it out there or if something's perfect, or even if something's perfect and you never put it out there, like you're never going to make sales and you're never going to grow a business. But if you put something out there, that's maybe not quite ready and that you want to just do, and maybe you learn some lessons along the way, or it wasn't quite right. You can get feedback and then improve down the road. And this is how, that's how you grow. And that's how you get better at whatever it is that you're doing. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So we talked a lot about how, well, you just spoke about how asking, being able to ask for support is a huge strength. And it, it even sounds like, you know, you're so honest about the fact in your own business, how you lean on your assistant, Sarah, and, yeah. you know, how you wouldn't be able to do a lot of these things without the really great support system around you. So how can a jewelry business owner, first and foremost, like set their priorities and what they want to achieve? and then decide what can they do themselves, what should be delegated, how can they go about finding the support that they need? Okay, awesome. That's a lot of questions in one, and if I have many of them, come back. The first question was like, how do you set goals and prioritize? Am I getting that right? Okay, yes. so the, the first thing that we do, and we do this in our coaching program, and everything that we do is really surrounding this, is. You know, a lot of people will set goals at the beginning of a year or they have, they have some sort of loose plan or they, or maybe they don't even do that. Like, I'm so, so surprised at how many people don't even have goals or anything that they're trying to achieve in their business. And then they're just like loosey goosing it. And without some sort of solid container or like goals or a plan, it's really hard to achieve anything. And so what ends up happening is that they end up not really gaining any traction. So Start with some sort of goal. It can be, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, I like to have a financial goal, some sort of intrinsic goal, and then some, like, some sort of marketing or sales type of goal. Like maybe it's getting your website up and converting at X amount or, or whatever it might be. Um, and then you might have other goals or milestones within those things. But a big problem that I used to have and I see a lot of people having is they have too many goals. And so then none of the goals get achieved. So start with three Make one of them an intrinsic goal or like a lifestyle goal because if you're there's no reason to be um, self-employed and an entrepreneur if you're not going to build it around the kind of life that you want. And then what we've really dialed in is uh, 90-day strategic plans, and that is uh, the fastest way to move things forward. And you've hear, heard about these, like you know. Um, from uh, the seven habits of highly effective people guy who I'm like missing his name right now. Uh, you hear a lot of people talking about working in 90 days sprints uh, and these plans, but the more you can like dial in in a short period of time. And there's been proven uh, research on this, this rule of threes and also 90 days that, uh, cause that's three months, right? That can help you move things forward. Um, and they talk a little bit about this and, um, in more detail, like if your business is growing in the EOS operating system that's uh, presented in the book Traction and also the book Rocket Fuel. So um, many, many uh, business gurus and coaches talk about this, but focus on 90 days at a time. Try not to focus on more than that because if you do, 
then a lot of times you don't get the results. And every 90 days, you have three top projects or priorities. You complete those first, unless something happens that gets you off rail like COVID or something like that. And, um, you know, sometimes things happen that you can't really foresee. And then you pivot at that point. But you're committed to the things and you break them down into, you know, smaller goals that support that 90-day plan. Um, so I like to really work in like having like mile, milestones and markers for every month of what we're trying to complete. Deadlines and timelines and launch dates are really helpful to getting things done on time. If you don't have an end date, it's really hard to complete something in a reasonable amount of time. And then also starting your week and days with just like three top things that you need to get done in the week and then breaking that down into three things a day. And you don't move on to anything else that you're doing on that day until those three top priorities are done. Because um, if you want to move into action and get stuff done, it's really about not being a taskmaster, but uh, getting those things that are actually moving the needle, growing your business, bringing money in done first. And so that kind of takes me on like to the, I think you asked the next question was like what to delegate and when to ask for help. Okay. So the delegation piece, um, I, I mean, a really good example is like, I started my first jewelry business alone. Then I got a huge order and I hired my first production assistant, then another production assistant, then an office assistant, because I was like, okay, well, what are the things that I don't like doing? I'm really good at delegating probably almost to a default because I spend more money on team probably than I need to. But um, like identify the things that are the lowest leverage thing that you're doing in your business. And what I mean by that, uh, when I, in my first business, when I was taking a look at like, why, why did I hire a production assistant first? Well, my hands started to hurt. And I got really bored making repetitive pieces of jewelry because my uh, primary business, my business was all wholesale for the most part. And 5% was direct to consumer, but 95% was wholesale. And a lot of times they're ordering multiple items of the same thing and buying from multiple stores. And I was like, well, I could hire like at this time, like a production assistant for 10 or $15 an hour. I can't remember what the going rate was back then. Um, and I could just teach them how to make my jewelry if they're already jewelry makers. And then that frees me up to design, which is what I really like to do, like the new products. It also frees me up to make sales. It frees me up to go to stores, uh, to be out on the road, to be connecting and all those things. So I would say start with the lowest leverage thing. And th this exercise has been done by a lot of people. I have no idea where it originated from. This is not my exercise, but you can break up your time. The time that you spend just document like what you're doing every day into everything from a thousand dollar an hour tasks to um, $5 an hour tasks in every range in between. So you could do like five, 15, uh, 20, 25, 50, I don't know, and so on and so forth. So you get to a thousand and you might be wondering like why $5? Well, you can hire for admin work and like um, lower level stuff that you don't need a lot of work. You can hire people out, out outsourced in other countries where five to $7 an hour is actually like a really amazing rate for them. And I know for small businesses, like sometimes there's not a lot of extra cash to really delegate out. And so you can decide if on your own judgment call, like if that's something that you'd want to do, but that's, those are things that can easily be delegated, like uploading images to websites, um, SEOing images and like a lot of repetitive things that take a lot of time. 
that you don't have to be doing. Um, and so I would start there and start to, and then I would go through the filter of like, what are the lowest leverage? And then what do I like to do the least? And that's where I would start to delegate because, um, a lot of times we end up doing some of the things that we don't like doing the most because we think it's the most important thing that we should be doing because it's painful and we're trying to improve our weaknesses um, or the things that are opportunities, as I like to say. But really, you should know how to do all that stuff. But if it's taking you longer or it's not really something that you truly enjoy, then maybe it's time to think about like what kind of position can I hire that uh, can take over that for me so I can have more creativity and joy in my life and in my business. And so it kind of depends on what stage you are, what stage you are in, because like each size of business is going to have a different, um, uh, amount disposable amount for outsourcing or, or hiring employees or contractors to kind of support in a jewelry company. You know, one of the things that I've supported people with for years, I understand there's a huge maker, community out there and people like to make. And that's a lot of the reason why they started a jewelry company. But I think uh, now is an interesting time because a lot of manufacturers and production work is closed. But I think sometimes getting the making piece off your plate and delegating that to students or um, people who are really good, skilled workers who are good at hands can be um, a really great place to start for uh, freeing up time to focus on the things that are to move your business. This is real life with the dogs in the background. Sorry, my dog's barking. <laughs> oh my god, stop, stop barking. That's, um, yeah. No, I love what you said. The thing that really stuck out the most was that some business owners focus on the things that are difficult because they see it as a weakness. So they keep doing it because they want to see if they can improve at it. Yeah. But oh my goodness, like I can personally relate to that. <laughs> I'm like, mm, I should really just give this to someone else. Um, that's so smart. Is there like a moment or time? I mean, is it like an intuitive decision that someone makes where you're like, okay, now I need to give this to someone else? Or is it like from a purely financial perspective? Like I can be spending more time doing this thing because it will, you know, end up getting you more money? Like, how does one make that decision? Um, I mean, there's a lot of filters you can use. I think that um, for me, it's really like, it was always a leap, like, because the, any cash going out is an extra expenditure. I mean, I feel a little bit more fortunate now because I have more leeway. And, you know, we've had to restructure a lot of things after COVID because, um, you know, there's a natural tendency, especially for our artist communities to like, maybe not invest in a moment when there was a lot of uncertainty. So I can understand that. But, and I was, once all this started coming out, like I was preparing already from the beginning because I wanted to get ahead of it. But my main number one objective was to keep my team employed. So I was like, how can we restructure things? What like software apps are we not really using or what are, is not important? What can I cut out kind of thing? And so certain things that you can get off your plate actually can be automated in a lot of ways. There are things that you, tools and tech that you can use that are like lower, um, lower investments, like, you know, maybe anywhere from five to $50 a month. Um, and for me, it was always like, if I freed up this time, even though the investment will be extra, 
and I'm, I'm paying for someone. So it's money going out the door. What, how could I replace it times 10? And so that's a, a good way to kind of look at it. Like if you were taking that off your plate, even though it's like a little bit of a stretch in the short term, like how would that free up my time to actually do things that are going to um, grow my business because that's really the ultimate goal of like you outsourcing or getting support or hiring a team or even getting a coach or a mentor. Because the truth is no one, I don't care how long you've been in business, the most successful entrepreneurs, the multi-billionaire people, they're all have executive coaches or people or a mastermind or a group of people that they talk to in their inner circle that helps them see what they can't see. And that is the most important thing because we all have blinders. Um, you know, like I get called out every day by my boyfriend, Jason, because I met him because he was consulting for my company. And so he saw, um, a lot of stuff that was going on. And while he's very diplomatic, he's like, you know, I want to be honest with you because I think that there are ways that you could lead better, or maybe you shouldn't use this language or other things because I don't even realize I'm doing stuff like that, but other people pick up on it. And like, sometimes um, you don't even know, or like I can easily go into a jewelry designers business and talk to them and call all their BS stories that they're telling themselves or like, what is like actually not even worth their time anymore. And just be like, look, get rid of this, do this, hire that person and stop complaining because like you got this, like you're really skilled, but like until you let go of that, then you're always going to be in the same place. Uh, there's one designer, I'm not sure her main name was at this point, but we've been working with her for probably like six years. She came in very early on. Um, and when she, she started with us, when it was a side hustle, her job changed and she got um, basically laid off. They offered her a new position, but she didn't want to take it. And so she basically got laid off and decided within a month of joining our high-end program that she was just going to do her business full time. Robin and I immediately thought, she's going to drop out of the program. She's like, why would I drop out of the program? I'm going to lean in. And now her business has grown a lot. She's doing really well. And uh, while this year will be an interesting year to see what's going to happen with her business, because um, she had some pretty big growth goals, I said, the only way that you are going to reach those goals is if you stop controlling, trying to be a control freak in, in the business. Like you have to start, because um, she's really good at details and she's really particular about, all the things, but if you want to grow, you need to kind of let go of some of that stuff and hire someone to do a lot of the, um, operational work that she was doing. And so I think for everyone, it's like, it's hard to see because sometimes that what they think is like the best thing that they're doing for their company could be the thing that's actually like holding them back. And so I always recommend, you know, obviously when you're first starting out, if you're doing less than a hundred thousand dollars in revenue, the best way to get support is to join a community or a scaled, an opportunity where there's a scaled um, um, thing that you can join, like take a course or a program, like learn that way. I don't think free content is really, I think free content is nice to just like consume, but I don't think it's typically the most helpful for growing your business because it's not organized in a systematic way that really is going to make sense or be useful. And I'll give you an example of that. A lot of people are doing like 20 grand a year in sales and they are doing their business full time, want to spend money on ads. 
I don't think that that's the right place to start. You don't really have any money to even spend on ads. And if you're going to be advertising on a platform like Facebook, you know, you might have $20 a month to spend like a dollar a day or 50 cents a day is not going to get you very far from an ads budget. And so ads are really good when you have a sales funnel and a uh, a really strong conversion mechanism on your website and you know what you're doing. And that that's typically people who are a little bit further along in business who've been doing the digital marketing and all that stuff um, a lot. So um, I would say like if when you're smaller, like I would look for courses and coach and that kind of thing, or like membership communities that you can join that are actually teaching you business skills, but like the real business skills, not the fluffy ones that are actually going to grow your business. Um, once you're beyond that, uh, this is an opportunity for where you can think about hiring a coach or a consultant or joining a coaching program that is going to take you along the desired path that you're trying to reach. And so, um, you can decide on the investment, um, meaning like we have people who are, who invest in our top tier, who are kind of at the lower, lower end of the range of what we want to do. And we have people at the or the lower end of the kind of entry level that we want to do, but we also have people at the top tier who are investing at that, um, at that level. And so it really depends on like the kind of support that you want. But with that support, what ends up happening is like massive growth comes because the reason why a lot of these designers that I was talking about earlier are having record breaking months in particular online is because they listen to what I was saying a year, year and a half ago, that we're going to have an economic correction at some point. And what happens when that, when that happens is that brick and mortar starts to go out or, and wholesale is affected. Um, and if your main business is wholesale and you don't have a direct, strong direct-to-consumer model, you're basically going to shoot, shoot yourself in the foot. And I think that having a really strong trifecta brand where you're selling real, in three really strong channels, whether it's doing art shows, selling online and wholesale or having your own retail store, selling to other retail stores and uh, selling uh, on your website. I think everyone should have that um, ownership on a really strong website platform. And I think having multiple sales channels is important, but if one starts to weaken, then you can lean on the others to really build your business. And I think this is like something so important that we can all learn, like learn it from my story in 2008, 95% of my business was wholesale and wholesale stores were going out left and right. And it was all the small mom and pop wholesale, you know, and even some of the big stores, the big stores are the ones that actually took me out because they owed me so much money. I couldn't pay my bills. And so, um, just think about, think about the support coming from that angle. And then ultimately support comes down the road in other ways, like when you start to hire a team and stuff like that, or strategists and consultants to come into your business to look directly at your business. And so uh, people like you, <laughs> you come in and you know, coach and consult. So there's so many different ways, but it really just depends on what your goals are, how quickly you wanna grow. And I, I would say where you are in business and what you have to kind of invest in that. Mm -hmm. Oh, really great point. So you touched a little bit about um, advertising and how that might not be the best investment for a brand that hasn't been keeping up with digital marketing as a first step. And maybe they're using advertising as like a band-aid or like a mm -hmm. quick fix or something. So in your opinion,
opinion, um, to kind of get to the stage before they can invest in advertising, what digital marketing efforts do you think are the most impactful for these jewelry brands and where should they be spending their time or looking for a consultant like me who can kind of help them, you know, get to where they need to be? A hundred percent building your email list, I think is the most important thing. Um, email marketing is not dead. All these people that I mentioned earlier, um, the result or the results of all those people that I was mentioning earlier have been specifically from email marketing, building their email list, um, in a variety of different ways from the in-person shows that they're doing from their network, um, from, um, generating sales on their website through social media and social traffic and things like uh, Pinterest or SEO um, and uh, building a community around you, around your brand in that way where you're building an ambassadorship and referral program for people who know, like, and trust what you do and are also buying your work so that they can refer other people. So I think that's the best place to start, but you're always focused on building your email list um, and don't forget, like a lot of people are like, oh, oh I, well, I'm trying to get out of my friends and family zone, but your friends and family have a lot of friends and family. And so it's a great way, a great place to start if you're a super beginner. As you're growing, obviously that's going into your client list, your referral base, um, the people that you meet out in the show circuit. And if you're selling a lot of wholesale, you can also create a wholesale email list. I would segment them into two separate lists because direct to consumer is different than wholesale. Um, so I'd start that way. Um, I would be consistent in all of your digital marketing. So whether it's uh, social media, um, social media tra traffic, um, you know, social search like Pinterest, uh, SEO, like all those things really help. And there's a lot of simple things that you can do to just improve search uh, in your local area, which I think is the best tactic for a lot of smaller brands because you're probably not going to compete for handmade jewelry if you're a handmade jewelry artist or fine jewelry um, on a national scale, but I can tell you a lot of people have found me as a New York City private jeweler or a New York City uh, custom jeweler on Google search because I was ranking on the first page for those types of keywords. So if you can really optimize what you're doing for your local area, that's like a good way or your regional area, that's a good place to start. Um, and then after you kind of have that dialed in and you have automated sequences on your website and a sales funnel, and landing pages and uh, your website is actually converting, like you're reducing the bounce rate and you're getting people from your email to grow and you have like almost a critical mass there. That's when I would start running ads, mm -hmm. but it's like all these other things need to happen first. And that's why it's the big mistake. They're like, they think a lot of people think like, Oh, if I just run ads, I'm going to get orders. Uh, that might work on Etsy. If that's like, if you want to give your business to someone else so that you show up on the front page of Etsy, but that's not really building a business. That's having a, that's letting someone else run your business and having control of your business while you're, um, reacting to like, you know, you keep having to pay to play for more. So I think, uh, in that case, like that's the one thing that I feel like it might be beneficial to run ads, but in, in any other case, like I don't think until you have all those other things done and you already have an audience, running ads isn't going to be that helpful in the long run. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I 100% second your recommendation about email. Email yeah. is like kind of less sexy today. Like I feel like people don't 
like to talk about it as much because it's not as exciting as like social or especially like Facebook ads and stuff like that. But email is a way that you can really own your customer information. Um, and yeah. I like to tell people like, what would you do? It seems hard to believe, but what would you do if Instagram just like shut down tomorrow? Like a lot of brands would completely lose their following because they depend so heavily on that platform. That's such a good point. And Instagram is changing their algorithms daily. You know, a lot of people, um, we, I coached like a really well-known designer, just a very successful fine jewelry designer. And they used to make a ton, like we're really helping her. She had a record-breaking month in December. We're helping her with her direct-to-consumer stuff. She's got her wholesale stuff dialed in. Um, she had a record-breaking month in December. And she was, she was concerned at the beginning of the month. I'm like, girl, just email more. Because she kept saying like Instagram, we're not making sales from Instagram as much anymore. And I, it's because no one's seeing your posts as much anymore. And now that everyone's posting on Instagram, there's so much jewelry, so much, so much to see that um, it's like ADD, right? So Instagram is great. And we have designers like um, many designers in our community who are, still do really well on Instagram, um, uh, like uh, um, Alex Camacho of Asset Queen Jewelry and um, uh, Gina and Jared of The Fox and the Stone. They both like have a really solid Instagram sales strategy and also Mary Geraldine of Gardens of the Sun. Um, yeah, but when I encouraged this designer to email more, she had a record-breaking December because she's like, wow, people actually buy from email if you just stay on top of it. But the biggest problem is like people don't email consistently enough. Even some big brands, like I'm on some big brands, email, bigger brand email lists of independent designers and they don't, they email maybe like once every couple of months. And I'm like, well, if you want to make some sales, like you got to email like twice a week. It's uncomfortable, yeah. but like, and you might get some people unsubscribing, but they don't really want to be on your list anyway, if they're, you know, not there. You want the people that buy. You don't need a million followers or a million people on your email list. You just need a small group of people who buy from you regularly. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because especially now in the past few weeks with all these brands like sending their yeah. announcements or information about the coronavirus stuff, I'm like, was I on this list? I know, you're like, like you're you're never you're... emailed me. Like, all of a sudden, they come out of the woodwork, like, okay, we have to send our email right now. <laughs> I know, it's so funny. It, it's so true, too. And so, like, I just encourage people to email more than they feel comfortable. I think an important part of email is the the design and what's inside the email and a lot of big mistakes. And you probably work with people on this too, is that if you're trying to sell jewelry, <laughs> you need to be focused on the jewelry, not so much text, but there is opportunity for text and building trust through email in a different way. And so you really have to be thinking strategically about what is the email for? When I look at this on mobile, is, are all the aspects showing up that I want them to see? And is the call to action strong enough? Are you moving people from that email uh, to your website? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I see someone, they're like, oh, I sent on the email, but I'm not making a sale. And I'm like, send me the email. And I look at it, I was like, you didn't even ask them to buy anything. I'm like, that's why. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then there's also a balance. You don't want to be pitch, pitch, pitch either. You want to be creating community, building awareness. And so there's, uh, ways that you can build um, 
engagement in your email list by going through like a no like trust filter and then um, building, you know, building awareness about your brand and then moving those people to the sale down the road. It doesn't have to always be sell, 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 but you know, ultimately like if you're selling jewelry, that's the main objective of sending out emails and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, definitely. Great point. So I want to start to, to wrap it up, but I want to touch, uh, we spoke a little bit during this conversation about 2008 and how yeah. you endured that and overcame that and ultimately like found um, knowledge to help other jewelry designers. And a lot of people right now, even though it's not the same situation, they're having some flashbacks to 2008. They're wondering like, is the economy going to be affected in the same way? How should I prepare my business or kind of like adapt to my business accordingly? So what advice do you have for these designers that are facing this uncertainty right now? What would you like to tell them? And, you know, how can they still maintain momentum during this time? Um, yeah, I think the most important thing, and hopefully many of the people listening to this have, if they need it, have applied for some of the assistant and financial aid that's available um, with the PPP loans and EIDL. And uh, I know in New York, there's special grants and different, and everyone's local area has different things. Um, on our website, we have a whole financial aid resource for like artist grants and stuff like that too. Do you care if I share that? Yeah, you can go to flourishriveacademy.com forward slash financial resources. And that's going to just take you to uh, a really long blog post with a lot of different financial resources that you can, from like mortgage companies and whatever. But I would say like the, the biggest piece of advice that I could give to you right now is to get ahead of it. If you can't pay your bills, call your vendors, call your credit card companies, call your uh, mortgage people. Try to keep your people employed because honestly, that is going to be the one thing that will save the economy is to not have a bunch of people in unemployment if you possibly can. Um, if you can't, then you know make the best decision that you can that you have to at the time. But like, I would think of, I would think about like, okay, what are the things that I can? What are the things that I really need? I don't think cutting off support is really a good idea right now. And I'm telling you this for a very specific reason, because it wasn't until my business was really struggling that I decided to invest in my first consultants who were very expensive uh, at that time. They were like 1500 a month. And that was uh, 12 years ago. And now having that same level of support would be more like 3000 a month. Mm-hmm. And I had the, trust me, I had like not a lot of money. I wasn't in at times wasn't even paying myself because I'd gone from having a seven figure business to like, and having like, you know, high, you know, six figures a month or like six figures a month, excuse me, in, in revenue, not high six figures a month, but six figures a month in revenue on most of the months to like, having that cut to a fraction of like 10 grand a month. And I was like, how am I going to do this? But having that support system, um, helped me navigate all this, all the changes that I was experiencing. So, so find some sort of support. I don't think you need to spend 3000 a month unless you're really at that level. But, um, I think that there are lots of opportunities, um, between what you do and what we do and what their other consultants do to help support this industry. So find someone to help you, find someone to mentor you, get the support that you need. And uh, use this time to like really focus on the things that you can control. Um, 
I've interviewed a lot of mindset people over the last couple of weeks and um, been focusing on like what we can do with our community as well. Because there's a lot of things that you can't control, but what you can control is your daily actions, what you show up and do every day, uh, your ability to look at your business honestly and with, um, without rose-colored glasses on because this is the time to like really look at it and say like, okay, what is working, what's not working? And instead of like leaning into fear and feeling like everything is going to collapse around you, really dive into being solutions oriented because people get it and they want, and I'm saying people get it, like, you know, the lenders get it. You know, I was talking with my friend, she is the um, COO of Hay House Publications and they publish a lot of authors and books. And one of their authors is Susie Orman. And you know, Susie Orman is like one of those um, financial coaches who's always like, save, 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 don't get on credit. But she's saying right now, like, use your credit cards if you need to. Like, this is the time when you lean into debt and save your cash. So, um, and obviously you don't want to rack up a lot of debt. I'm not suggesting that. But like, this is the time when it's okay to actually do that because, you know, we want to make sure that we have cash reserves and that, that you can move forward in, in the best way possible. So focus on the things that you can control, be, get ahead of it and be like ahead of the game. And I would say like really get support because I think the biggest reason why my business suffered so poorly in 2008 is even though I noticed that things were shifting in my business, like I noticed that sales, like the trends were changing uh, the direction of the market was changing. Um, my sales were weakening a little bit over the previous years uh, in the earlier part of that year. And I was dating a guy at the time who was like, uh, the apocalypse is about to come. And I didn't really get it at the time because I was just like, kind of like trying to stay positive and whatever. Don't overburden yourself with information because going down like the world is ending is not going to help you. But be informed enough to know like, okay, this might happen this might affect our economy how can i use that information to pivot and grow so if, if you're if something in your business isn't working now and hasn't worked for a while maybe this is the time to ditch that ditch that um, if you haven't started a direct to consumer stream right now is the time to really learn and understand like how to how to do digital marketing how to reach your customers virtually because um that is going to be a really important thing for you to, to really life proof your business in the long term because you do have control over directly reaching customers. You don't have control when wholesale stores are going to open again. You don't have control when your own retail store might open again. You don't have control over when uh, art shows and fairs and those types of things are going to be open again but you do have control of what's in front of you. So and then also like you know if you are seeing a setback in sales, like use this time to do some of the business building foundational stuff that you haven't done or that you've been putting mm -hmm. off. Like all the things that take our time consuming that you know you have to do, but you haven't done it for whatever reason. So there's a lot of opportunity here if you let it, um, let this time be an opportunity, but it also is, can, you can also decide to spiral out and like lose your business if you're not ahead of it. So I would just say, focus on what you can control and lean into the opportunities that are in front of you and just keep moving forward. Really great advice. Yes. So as we wrap up here, was there anything else that you want to share? Can you tell our listeners how they can learn more about your program? 
Sure. Well, you know, I, I feel like I shared a lot. And so, you know, I, I'd be happy to help anyone who uh, needs support. I also have a podcast. It's called Thrive by Design, um, which I talk about jewelry business, marketing, uh, lifestyle stuff, you know, building a business around what it is that you want to create in your life and protecting your creativity. So it's great for jewelry companies and um, other kinds of product-based businesses. So you can find me on um, Apple iTunes or Apple, Apple podcasts, excuse me, cause they changed the name and anywhere our podcasts are listened to. And also on our website, um, the website for jewelers is flourishthriveacademy.com and you can view all of our courses and programs and everything that we do over there. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at Tracy Matthews and why. Great. Thanks so much, Tracy. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me here. It was such a pleasure to be able to talk to Tracy and hear more about how she helps jewelry entrepreneurs through Flourish and Thrive Academy. Be sure to visit the Flourish and Thrive website, flourishthriveacademy.com, and connect with Flourish and Thrive on Instagram at flourish underscore thrive. I look forward to sharing more interviews with you. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com where you can download our free ebook, Proven Conversion Strategies for E-Commerce Jewelry Retailers.